Welcome to another episode of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, your home for the latest news and analysis from the world of college hoops. Back again are your hosts, Josh Burton, Phil Dexter, and Peyton Burton. What is up, you guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast. Episode 130. I'm, of course, your host, Josh Burton. Joining me yet again today are a pair of my teammates, Peyton Burton, Phil Dexter. And before you both speak, raise your hand if you had Clemson 7-0 leading by unanimous two-game separation, the ACC Conference. Well, I'm not going to raise my hand for that because I didn't predict that. I think I had them close to like 10th or 11th in our conference preview for the magazine. But I will raise my hand and say I did predict them to pick Duke or beat Duke this week. So I will raise my hand on that. But as far as them being 6-0, 7-0, what the hell they are, and leading the ACC conference, I mean, they're actually a good-ass team. And I mentioned to y'all, they're a lot better than I anticipated coming into the year. Yeah, I think they're a lot better than pretty much everybody anticipated. I mean, I don't think that anybody really can claim that they had them, you know, leading the ACC at this point in the season, especially not with a two-game lead, a full two-game lead. Um, still a long way to go in the ACC season, but, you know, they're, Brad Brennell's done a heck of a job so far to probably get himself off the hot seat there in, uh, at Clemson. Well, and it's even crazier the amount of guys that they lost that was quote-unquote their best players, but it opened up spots for other guys like Tyson Hunter has been outstanding. He's a met, or mismatch nightmare. We're going to talk all about Clemson. They got a big win yesterday against Duke, 7-0. We will talk all about Clemson. But today is a big show. Before we get into all that, got to remember or got to remind you guys that this podcast is presented by House Enterprise and in part with the House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com for more information. Also, got to shout out our title sponsor of Everything College Basketball this year, Beauty to Beast Nutrition, located in downtown Edinburgh, Indiana. It's a healthy juice bar. Got everything you need to make you feel good without the normal jitters and crash of sugary drinks. Stop in today. Tell them ECB sent you for an entire 10% off of your entire purchase. We mentioned episode 130 is a massive episode. Earlier this last week, we pre-recorded a couple interviews that you will hear throughout the course of the show. The first one being Jonathan Warner of MakingTheMadness.com. We talked to him about bracketology, how the brackets shaping up at that point in time back on Thursday. And then also we have a pre-recorded interview with the Hall of Famer, the United States Basketball Writers of Association Hall of Fame legend that's covered Kentucky, Louisville, and Indiana sports, based working for WDRB.com as a sports journalist for decades now. You will hear our, our interview with Rick Bozich incredible interviews and also later in the show we'll be joined again like we were last year by the inventor of Haslam Metrics Analytics Mr. Eric Haslam it is a loaded show fellas I cannot wait for everybody to hear all these interviews yeah me too just real quick before I before I forget the reason I want you guys to know the reason that Duke lost this week is because it's, it's coach Shia's fault so I just letting y'all know there it's coach Shia's fault he did it on purpose he lost so Blame Shire. Hashtag, let's get this trend going. Hashtag fire John Shire. Am I right, Stephen Decker? Hopefully you listen to this. <laughs> well, and also we are on the Twitter, the YouTube, and the Facebook. If you're not following yet, go give all of our, our links a follow. If you're joining us live in the show this morning, afternoon, drop a comment. We'll do like we always do, post them, react to them, and all that. But, fellas, before we get into the Jonathan Warner bracketology talk, I do want to spend – I mentioned Clemson at the top of the show. We will get into their big win over Duke at home. 
in which they have played well. But a couple topics just real quick I want to discuss before we get to the Jonathan interview. Let's talk some conference standings, how they look right now. And we mentioned, again, Clemson. Brad, Brad Brownell, Brownell, if I can speak, got his 400th win yesterday in the win over Duke. Clemson is now atop the ACC conference at 7-0. and Phil, you mentioned the next closest team. There's a list of teams that are 5-2. and two. Clemson, with a two-game lead in middle of January, can't. the question for both of you, can Clemson hold on and win this conference outright? You can go ahead and fill with that one. Um, man, that's... That's tough. I I think it's possible. I think they can. My prediction is that they won't. Um, I just think as they get into the meat of this conference schedule and they run into, you know, the UNCs and the Virginias, I think they're going to run into a couple of losses. Now, obviously, like getting the home win against Duke is crucial. You have to get the home wins that you can get in conference play. Um, I think they're going to be in a position to be in the hunt for it, but my prediction is that they don't pull it out. And I still think that Somebody in the group of Virginia, UNC, or Duke ends up the conference champion. Well, they don't really they don't play Virginia uh, until the second the second last game of the season. They play them February twenty eighth, uh, and it is on the road, so they're gonna have to win that game. But the next five games is all very winnable. They go at Wake Forest, which Wake Forest beat Duke. Wake Forest is a solid team. They get uh, Virginia Tech at home, Georgia Tech at home, go on the road, play Florida State, which Florida State's not been good this year. And they cap off a five-game skid with going at Boston College. Boston College is pretty decent, but I think all three, all five of those games are very winnable. Do I think they'll win the conference? No, I, I, still, I still think that I'm betting on Virginia to hold the ACC crown this year, but it's very possible they could win this conference this year. I mean, hell, they saw it 7-0, so... We talked we talk last week a lot about home court advantage and conference play. Look at these teams right now, home records. Clemson 10-0, Miami 10-0, Wake Forest 9-0. You've got Duke and North Carolina 9-8-0 respectively. Tell me again how important home court advantage is in conference play right now. Absolutely. I was talking about this with some people yesterday, but I'm not sure that there's a bigger – home court advantage in any sport than there is in college basketball and particularly when you get into conference play i mean you look up and down the acc the big 12 but even down to like the mountain west conference and there's not an easy road win anywhere it's it's ridiculous right now to be honest with you yeah i agree especially in college sports and especially in basketball there's really two sports that home court advantage or having the home advantage really matters, and that's in college basketball and European soccer. Uh, when you go on the road and you face these tough environments, it's very unlikely you're going to come out with the win. doesn't matter really who you're playing, um, especially when you get into conference play. You really need that extra, since the crowds are back and stuff like that, home court advantage just means more than probably ever did. And uh, got to win a couple of road games, though, if you want to win the ACC conference, though, so they're going to have to get some done. Phil, real quick, you mentioned the Big 12. We all agree it's the best conference of college basketball right now. Kansas atop at 5-0. and Kansas State finally took a loss yesterday against TCU. We'll talk about later on. But you've got a couple teams behind Kansas at 4-1. and Kansas State, Texas, Iowa State 4-1. and TCU's at 3-2. and Everybody else is sub-500 in conference play. The Big 12, like we predicted, will eventually start eating itself up. So when you look at the Big 12 as a whole right now, do you see Kansas able to maybe get a couple game separation 
Or are the teams like Kansas State, Texas, Iowa State, and TCU going to eventually hang around and be a big threat come the last Big 12 regular season game? I mean, I personally think that Kansas is the clear cream of the crop in the Big 12. Um, I think it's kind of them. Then there's a pretty prominent second tier. And then I think we're starting to see a little bit now that maybe that bottom tier of teams isn't quite as strong as we thought it was. You know, with Texas Tech now to an 0-5 start, um, Oklahoma State hasn't been very impressive in conference play. Um, Oklahoma's struggled a little bit here or there. So you have some teams at the bottom of the conference that I think we expected to maybe be closer to 500, as you mentioned, Josh, and, and are stinking it up a little bit right now. But no, I think Kansas is the clear cream of the crop, and I think they ultimately win the conference by probably two or three games. Yeah, you know, I'm going to obviously agree with that. I think Kansas has started very well. They're 5-0 in conference play and easily could be 0-5 or really 1-4. Um, really the only game that they've looked pretty dominant in the conference play so far is that game at West Virginia. But Oklahoma State game, we could have lost. Texas Tech could have lost. Um, last night against Iowa State definitely could have lost. And Oklahoma, they had us down dead rights down 10 points with like under three minutes to go and we came back and won that game so we very well could be setting one four in conference play but we're not I, I agree with Phil I think Kansas is the cream of the crop when it comes to the Big 12 basketball and I think they'll win it by a couple games they got two tough games this week though that very intrigued and very excited to watch this year or this week when I do have to say I was impressed with the guts that Texas showed last night you know they were down 10 at one point right around halftime against Texas Tech at home um, and Rodney Terry got that turned around uh, they played a much better second half won a tight game I do think Texas um, talent wise is probably not too far off of Kansas but I'm just not sure that you know the difference in coaching no offense to Rodney Terry but Bill Self is if not the best coach in America then among the best and you see that play out in close games consistently so I think that give can gives Kansas a big advantage there as well and what quick one Texas? well how about this um, Go ahead, Peyton. Texas. Before before the Texas Tech game, they played a tough TCU team. TCU had them down like 20 points uh, before, and then they ended up storming back and making a comeback and ended up winning that game. So I think they got the toughness, and I think they got the talent to compete. It all comes down to coaching. Well, well, my point on that, too, is ever since we talked about it last week, the Chris Beard situation, ever since Rodney Terry has taken over at Texas, they are now 7-1. and one. Like, that doesn't happen a whole lot when you have a, a scandal like this, a changing of a head coach, and the team continues to fire off well. This team is tough-minded. They are built. They are obviously playing connected together. The, Texas is still a real threat. They're still a real threat. But let's move real quick to the Big East because we got to get to this Jonathan interview. Um, the top of the conference, Xavier 6-0, Marquette Providence 6-1. Then the two quote-unquote favorites coming into this year – Connecticut, Creighton, both four and three. Creighton's playing better. Connecticut hit that little slump. So what do we make of the Big East right now? And God dang, how good is Sean Miller? I still give Connecticut a little bit of a benefit of the doubt because a couple of those losses have been, you know, really tough environment road losses. You know, not too many teams are going to be able to go into Providence and win. Um, but, you know, you mentioned it. We got to give Sean Miller, <clears throat> excuse me, we have to give Sean Miller huge props for how Xavier's playing right now. I mean, obviously they won the NIT last year, but they were on the outside of the tournament looking in, pretty much brought back the same roster, you know, a few additions here or there, but they look like one of the best teams in the country right now, not just in the Big East. 
100%. Xavier sitting sixth in the conference. Would not expect that coming into Big East play. But Providence looking pretty damn good. Damn, and Marquette tied at second place, 6-1. and one. God, Shock is doing a hell of a job. Up. Yeah, Marquette actually plays Xavier coming up in like eight minutes. They play the noon game, which I'm going to watch on my TV and keep up to date with that because that's a huge game for Big East play. But if you're asking me right now who wins the conference, I do like Xavier, but I'm going with the Fires of Providence. Bryce Hopkins, especially in that game against UConn, I said it the week before and I'm going to say it again. He is the best player in Big East basketball. He is the player of the year in Big East. And uh, I said it last week, I'm saying it again. Love me some Bryce Hopkins and love me some Providence Fires. I'm going, it depends on who wins this game. I know it's an easy out, but if Marquette can beat Providence and take sole possession of second place, I'm telling you, I think Marquette ends up stealing this conference because Shaka is coaching on a different level. We know how great defensively his teams are, but it's their offense right now. They're playing free-flowing basketball, fun, entertaining to watch. Marquette's one of those teams, Peyton, we've seen them live and in person against one of the best teams in the country, Purdue. And they gave Purdue all they wanted for 40 minutes. I'm telling you, I think Marquette's one of those sweet 16 good teams right now. Let's go to the Big Ten real quick. Purdue's atop the conference solely right now at 5-1. and one. you got a bunch of teams with two losses. Michigan State, Rutgers 4-2. and two. Northwestern and Michigan are 3-2. and two. And then you got a whole gaggle of teams right at 500. You got Michigan. Well, I guess Michigan's three and two as well. But you got Penn State three and three. Illinois playing a lot better at three and three. Wisconsin, Iowa three and three. Then you got a couple teams at the bottom we didn't expect, like I or Ohio State, Indiana. What do we make of the Big Ten? And are we still convinced this is Purdue's conference to lose? Yeah, uh, I don't see a world where Purdue doesn't win the conference. Uh, Wisconsin, they started the year off great. Um, I, we talked about it with uh, Brian Lau from for Heat Check CBB. I asked him about them because at the time, um, they was the, really the only team that's really competing with Purdue for the top of the Big Ten. Ever since that, they've taken a step back. Uh, they lost to Illinois, and then they just got clobbered uh, on the road at Simley Hall uh, against Indiana. So they got to get their shit together, but Purdue's definitely the best team in the conference. And I'm telling you right now, looking in second place, don't forget about Sparty. Don't forget about Tom Izzo and Michigan State. They got healthy. They've won like six in a row now, besides that they just lost to Illinois. Um, but they've been playing well here lately, so don't watch out Watch out for Sparty. Yeah, as Peyton said, I just don't think that anybody in the Big Ten is quite the talent to uh, compete with Purdue, so I think Purdue is clearly the favorite. Um, in that second mix of teams, I still think it's anybody's – you know, kind of anybody's race, and it's still going to be a dogfight to see who can, you know, position themselves well for the tournament. I think Michigan State, Ohio State, Illinois, Indiana, obviously, all have a ton of talent, um, but still have a lot of work to do as far as what they've done this season and, and what they still need to do going through Big Ten play. Um, curious to see if a team like Penn State can kind of continue to get enough wins here down the stretch to, you know, bolster their tournament resume as well. We're going to save the SEC conference for later on when we talk about Kentucky and Tennessee. But I do want to ask, before we get to this Jonathan interview, which is a great interview, we know in the Big Ten Conference, the top four teams get the double bye, so they don't have to play until Thursday. Right now, just as we sit here on January 15th, real quick, give me your prediction for the top four teams that get the double bye in the Big Ten tournament. Go ahead, Phil. Um, Purdue, Michigan State, Ohio State, and Illinois. I think that's, that's it. I'm going to go with Purdue, 
Michigan State, Illinois, Iowa. I will say, I think we got the majority of those. I'm going to say Purdue definitely. I think Michigan State holds on. I love the way Illinois is playing since Sky Clark left. I love the way they're playing. So I'll go Illinois third. And I think there's going to be a surprise. And I think it's going to be the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Four and two right now. I figured they're going to hold home court more times than not. I think that's enough to get on the fourth place finish and a double bye. But great stuff on the conference standings. A lot of stuff that we probably didn't expect. And there's going to be more when we talk about the SEC. But right now, we want to go to our pre-recorded interview with Jonathan Warner of makingthemadness.com. Talk all about bracketology. It's a great insight to what goes into looking at brackets and teams and how they fall. I hope you guys enjoy this interview and we'll catch you on the other side of it. Joining us now on episode 130 of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, we're joined by Jonathan Warner, the founder of makingthemadness.com. He deals in daily bracketology. It is that time of year where we start really diving into bracketology now that conference play has fully began across the country. Jonathan, it is our pleasure to have you, my man. How are you doing today? Uh, doing pretty good. Obviously, you know, once we hit into January, the focus starts getting into college basketball and starts getting into the bracketology. So pleasure to be on and uh, talk some bracketology. Absolutely. And we're probably going to be all over the place because bracketology, especially in January, it's going to be very fluid like yeah. you do daily. It, I'm sure you see the changes from day to day. But I do want to start. It seems like the hot topic of the year right now is the Kentucky Wildcats. Obviously, I think most people have them outside on the outside looking in. Um, I, I think Joe Lenardi has them currently as the first four out. So in your bracketology and your outlook, as they sit here at 10 and 6 on the year, without a quad one win, actually more quad four losses than they do quad one wins, which is wild to say. What is your outlook as we sit here on January 12th of the Kentucky Wildcats tournament resume? Yeah, it's it's looking a little bit grim early on in the season. Now, obviously, there's still you know plenty of time left for them to make a run. Uh, they still rate pretty well in the analytic metrics, but right now they just don't have those quality wins. Obviously, when you play in a league as difficult as the SEC is, uh, you're going to have opportunities. So I'm not going to you know consider them dead by any means. I think if they can rally. You know, put together some good performances, get a win here or there. You don't necessarily have to beat Tennessee or Alabama, who look uh, like they're going to both be on the one line. But, you know, you beat in Arkansas, you beat a Missouri, you beat, you know, some of these other pretty good teams in the SEC. Uh, I do think they can still rally to make the NCAA tournament. But at this point in the season, uh, I have them, you know, not in the group that's even really, you know, considered to be in the NCAA tournament mix. I think they're, you know, a fringe NIT bubble team right now, but that can of course change if they can, you know, rally. But right now just kind of a grim outlook uh, for the Wildcats. Well, we've always been under the belief because historically the NCAA has shown us this, that if it's close, if it is a close call between let's say come selection Sunday, a team like Kentucky's on the bubble and a team like, uh, let's say Dayton, for instance, I feel like Kentucky would get the favorable option because of the name brand and NCAA. It's not stupid. They know who's going to drive the money. So do you feel like even with the, not the quad one wins yet and all that, but let's say they continue down this path, pick up a few quality wins and are firmly on the bubble come selection Sunday. Do you, 
do you feel like that they could sneak in just because of that kind of name brand situation over a team like a Dayton or whoever? Yeah, I definitely think, you know, if they are able to rally here and, you know, start to pick up a few quality wins as the season goes along, I think, you know, if they get into that, you know, I consider like the 13 loss, if you're entering selection Sunday with, you know, 13 losses, I think if you're in a league like the SEC, like the Big 12, like the Big 10, uh, those leagues that are just, you know, gauntlets most years, you're probably at that point going to get into the NCAA tournament, even with, you know, not a ton of wins. Maybe, you know, Kentucky obviously is, if they are to have that, you know, high amount of losses, they're also going to have a good amount of, you know, quality wins. So I think if they get into a position where, you know, let's say they're 19 and 13 entering the NCAA tournament or 20 and 13 uh, entering selection Sunday, I think that would probably get them in. Uh, but, you know, the road to get there involves being some pretty good teams. So they're going to have to, you know, step one is beat some good teams and then, you know, worry about, you know, what the NCAA tournament committee is going to do later. John, I agree with everything you just said. But on the other end, I think Kentucky would be a great one seed in the NIT tournament. How about you? <laughs> Sorry, I had to. I had to. What an ass. <laughs> I had to. Sorry, y'all been giving me shit about Louisville being 2 and 20 on the hell it is. I don't even know anymore. But talk to me. Uh, look at your uh, updated bracket from today. Your one seed so far, you got Kansas in the Midwest, Purdue in the South. Uh, Houston and the rest, and rounding at the East region, you got Alabama. Out of those four teams, do you think that those four teams are like the best teams in the country right now can make a Final Four run? Um, I mean, I, I think there's more than those four teams. I think from a resume perspective, those four teams have kind of established themselves at this point as the clear top four teams uh, from a resume perspective, but Certainly, you look at you know the two line. I think Tennessee, you know, is a really good, dangerous team that can win a title. I think UConn, you know, they've struggled a little bit here of late, but they look like a team that you know early on can go win a national championship. Arizona, I mean, I certainly wouldn't count them out to make a run. You know, UCLA is doing uh, pretty good, and you know, no one in the ACC has established themselves at least yet from a resume perspective. Uh, but I certainly think there are a lot of teams uh, that are seated a little bit lower that you know could make a run and could you know potentially get up to that one line. And then once you're as a one seed, you know you have an easier path than most. I think there's certainly some teams that currently aren't on the one line that could make a Final Four, could win the national championship that we're not even talking about at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there. Are, I feel like this year. Um, there's not a great team per se in college basketball. There's a lot of really good teams and a lot of teams that maybe haven't started to hit their peak yet. I, I think we're set up for a wild NCAA tournament. Phil, I know you had some uh, camera issues. I feel like, are you back now? Yeah, I think I'm good. Oh, okay, um, go ahead. So yeah, I wanted to stick with the ACC, Jonathan. Um, a team like Virginia Tech was probably comfortably, you know, looking at an at-large bid like a month ago. And I see you don't have them in currently after their loss, you know, last night. So can you just talk about, I guess, their margin of error or lack thereof the rest of the season and what they'll have to do to get into the tournament? Yeah, I think with 
like the ACC in general, uh, some of the bottom teams not really performing all that well in non-conference play. You had obviously, you know, Louisville struggled a little bit. Uh, Florida State very much struggled. They were, you know, projected to be a good team. I think you're starting to see having that bottom of the ACC start to beat some, you know, NCAA tournament teams like a Wake Forest, like a Virginia Tech, uh, you know, that you were considering a you know potential NCAA tournament team. Uh, and Virginia's certainly tripped up a couple games, lost to Boston College. Now that is starting to rear, you know, its ugly head for the ACC in a way you know, you wouldn't necessarily get, you know, Big Ten, Big 12, the ACC having that bad non-conference slate now I think could be in a position where it ends up costing uh, each team in the league, you know, if they take those bad losses, a seat or two come selection Sunday. I think Virginia Tech is an early, you know, team starting to figure that out. And I think, you know, while right now I think the ACC might be in position to get, you know, six, seven, eight bids, I think by the end of the season, uh, you'll probably see it be closer to five to seven bids. Yeah, and staying with the ACC on that point, um, looking at your most recent bracketology, Duke is an eight line in the South region, and you have North Carolina as a nine in the Midwest. I, I Duke had a very nice win last night. Actually, Phil was there live in attendance covering the game for us. Um, but I want to talk more specifically about North Carolina. Not the team so far through the first two months of the year, I think we all expected. They came in preseason number one in the AP and the ECB top 25. I think we expected a lot more out of them. But to date, they look like the team that we saw most of the regular season last year. Not a ton of quality wins themselves, going back to our Kentucky conversation, but you do have them as a nine seed right now, which means they're safely in and in a fairly good seed, not great, but a fairly good, comfortably in seed. So talk to me a little bit about North Carolina, what you see on the resume and what you think their potential is. What's the highest seed line at the end of the year do you think they can get if they catch fire the last two months? Yeah, I mean, I think if they catch fire, they can get into, you know, a three seed, maybe four seed. I, I think it depends how they finish the season. Uh, right now, from a resume perspective, it's just a team. They played one of the most difficult non-conference schedules. They haven't lost any teams that you would, you know, per se are bad losses. They just haven't won those, you know, games against marquee opponents. There's uh, one in six in uh, quadrant one, uh, one in four in quadrant one A, which are the high level game so they've shown the ability to at least look better than you know the perceived notion uh right now you know looking at about you know in that 25 to 35 uh ranking in most of the metrics the key is they just need to start picking up some quality wins uh they had an opportunity against virginia kind of let that one slide had an opportunity against pitt I think we're looking at North Carolina a lot differently if they pick up one or two of those games that they end up losing. But I think right now they are still a team, I think, you know, in that eight, nine game for now. But if they get, go on a little bit of run, pick up a couple quality wins along the way, I think you'll see them, you know, start to move up the seed line and get, you know, to a five seed or a four seed or something along those lines. 
So, so basically, even if they do catch fire, nothing higher than max maybe a three seed for North Carolina. Yeah, I could maybe see two if you know they go without losing the rest of the year. But uh, realistically, I think three or four is about their ceiling. Perfect. Phil, I know you want to talk about your Illinois boys. Yeah, I see you have them as a 10 seed currently. Um, and again, I sort of mentioned it with Virginia Tech, but like what is the margin for error with Illinois the rest of the way here? You know, do they have to obviously not run the table because that would, I would think, improve their standing. But do they have some room for a couple of losses here in a tough Big Ten? Yeah, I think the Big Ten is showing us kind of in a similar way with the both of Big Ten, Big 12 is, I think you can have weeks where you can go 0-2, you know, you can lose three straight games, but if you rally and win uh, a few games a row, which Illinois has done uh, at least recently, you can go from being a team that, you know, the season outlook is, oh, we might miss the NCAA tournament altogether, uh, to very quickly, because how many quality opponents you're going to play on a nightly basis, you can go from, let's say, being a 11 seed to moving up to being like a six or a seven seed. And I think that's kind of the, you know, the great thing about playing in a league like that is you can, you know, go on a two week stretch where you get hot and start being people. I remember last year with Iowa, they were kind of a team. I think mid February, most people were considering at least on the bubble and they finish out February very strong. Uh, go and obviously win the Big Ten tournament, and all of a sudden they get a five seed. Didn't go amount to anything in the NCAA tournament, but uh, you can certainly rally uh, in a league like the Big Ten to go from being on the bubble picture to being all of a sudden very safe and in position to get a good seed. So switching gears a little bit away from the power conferences, um, you know we have Florida Atlantic sitting at fifteen and one. And then a team like Charleston sitting at 17 and one are both of those teams in a situation where they're going to have to either a run the table and win their conference tournaments to get in, or do they have a little bit of room where they may be able to get an at large bid as well? Yeah, I think both teams have kind of established themselves as having a little bit of wiggle room uh, just because of the records. Uh, I think Charleston has a little bit less wiggle room just because the CAA is uh, not as good as Conference USA. I think you know Florida Atlantic can drop a couple games in Conference USA, and they're still going to uh, have a chance at being an at-large team just because Conference USA is you know right now sitting at being you know one of the you know it's it's not a power conference league, but it's one of the better mid-major leagues out there. Whereas the CAA is uh, less certainly less competition for Charleston. So I think Charleston probably needs to lose maybe just one to two more games if you're including the CAA tournament, whereas I think Florida Atlantic could lose you know, two games in the regular season, then lose a game in the CUSA tournament and still make the NCAA tournament. I think Florida Atlantic has a little bit better of a resume at this point. Going back to the Big Ten, Big Ten Conference, one of the or the favorites to win the Big Ten Conference this year was the Indiana Hoosiers. Right now, they're currently sitting 10-6, 1-4 uh, in Big Ten play. They've lost five of the last seven games, including three in a row that they've lost at Iowa by two points when they led 
by like 20 points in the first half. Uh, lost by one point at a similar O'Hall by North, against Northwestern. And then they just got embarrassed by Penn State on the road at Penn State. What does IU got to do to get into the tournament? Because right now they're in your next five. Yeah, I mean, the key is going to be start winning games. I think it's going to be a situation if you know they're right there on the bubble uh, come Selection Sunday and they start to look better when Xavier Johnson, Race Thompson hopefully return. I think you could get a, a situation. Uh, we saw this a few years ago with Bonzi Colson missing some games where the committee seemed to value their resume uh, a little bit more just because they took out some of the losses that uh, Notre Dame at that point had because of injuries. I think if you know Indiana can start to rally, especially when they get Race Thompson, Xavier Johnson back, I think they still can make the NCAA tournament. But the key is obviously you guys start winning games, getting on a little bit of a rally. And right now, uh, looking at their numbers, uh, Indiana is just they're one in five in quadrant one, two and six in the first two quadrants. So they've beaten the teams they're you know supposed to win, uh, but you guys start beating some quality opponents, and especially when you're in a league like the Big Ten, it is a gauntlet every night. And uh, while you're going to have opportunities to get those quality wins, uh, it can the losses can really stack up in a hurry. So uh, I think the key is getting a at least decent record. You know, maybe for Indiana, it's like. 18, 14, 19, and 14 uh, might get them in, but they've got to start rallying some wins. Yeah, and that Xavier win's holding a lot of weight right now, which is good news for we have a large contingent of IU fans. Hoosier Nation shows up big for ECB. So good news for them that Xavier continues to win. And I want to wrap this up real quick because we appreciate your time, and I know we got to get out of here. Speaking of the Big East, just real quick, of the top four teams, I just want you to give me your answer between Xavier, Marquette, Providence, UConn, when Selection Sunday rolls around and the brackets are revealed of those four teams, who has the highest seed of those four teams? I, I certainly think UConn has the biggest advantage just because of what they did in non-conference play. Obviously, getting that neutral court win against Alabama and how dominant they looked in non-conference play. But I think of the other three teams, I think Xavier and Marquette are both uh, really rallying to, you know, you know, high projected seeds at this point. Uh, I think both those teams are looking pretty good. Uh, I, I would lean Xavier as being a little bit higher seed just because I think they've been playing a little bit better as of late. Uh, and I think Providence will get a pretty decent th seed. I think all four of those teams will uh, get single digit seeds. I, I would expect Creighton to, you know, right now have them out. I think eventually they start to turn in and rally a little bit, but out of those four teams, I think UConn certainly has the highest potential for seed. Uh, right now, they're sitting as a comfortable two seed. Uh, but certainly, I think Xavier and Marquette all can get pretty high seeds as well. Well, good stuff from Jonathan Warner of MakingTheMadness.com. Jonathan, we appreciate your time. We'll hopefully have to try to get you back on here in a few weeks as we progress throughout the year and get one step closer to March Madness. Uh, go check out the website, MakingTheMadness.com. He does daily bracketology. If you're not following him already, it's at Bracketologist3 on Twitter. Go give him a follow. Good stuff, Jonathan. We appreciate your time, and we'll try to get you back on here in a few weeks as we get closer to March. All right. Thanks, you guys, for having me on. Definitely a fun time. Yep. Take care, man. We've.
We appreciate your time. We'll take a commercial break. When we come back, we got more of episode 130 in college basketball. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh here, and I'm here to let you know that we've teamed up with SeatGeek this season to get you the best deals for tickets to your favorite teams. SeatGeek takes the confusion out of buying tickets, and they are here to give you some great deals. Get in on the fun and head over to SeatGeek, download their app, and use code NCAA Hoops Digest for $20 off of your first purchase. What's going on, everybody? This is Will Tondo, the co-founder of House Enterprise, and I'm happy to announce that the Everything College Basketball podcast is now part of the House of College Hoops Network. We're really excited to bring you some premier college basketball content this season, so check out the website www.house-enterprise.com for all of our content creators, all of our college hoop stuff, and we're excited to get this season rolling. What's going on, everybody? This is Conrad here from Everything Pro Wrestling, here to let you know that Everything Pro Wrestling is a show by the fans, for the fans. Every Monday, we are live at 6.05 Eastern Standard Time with Clash of the Podcast, where you can listen to myself and my tag team partner, Sean Hubbard of Hubbard Wrestling Weekly, talk all the latest and greatest in pro wrestling. You might even find an old school topic or two as well mixed in. And every Wednesday, we go live on YouTube once again with AEW Dynamite post-show coverage. So at 10.05, head on over to the Everything Pro Wrestling channel and talk what we just saw on Dynamite with us. And did I mention that we are on all available audio platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. Thank you so much for listening to me, and let's get back to everything college basketball. Good stuff from our friend Jonathan Warner at makingthemadness.com. Uh, kind of an insight and a look into what goes into a daily bracketology. Uh, we heard it last year from our friend of the show and voter in the ECB Top 25, Dan Vasta, but it's nice to hear another point of view from somebody else who does daily bracketology of what goes in to not only the teams that are in, the placement, the seeding, and then you also heard from some of our hot button teams that we hear about daily from the ECB family. Indiana, North Carolina, Illinois, Kentucky, etc. Good stuff from Jonathan. Hope to get him back on the show. But let's jump in. Speaking of Kentucky, I feel like, and I feel bad because we lead off, but man, what a roller coaster ride this has been. Without going too much into it, Kentucky takes a terrible loss this last Tuesday to at home to the worst team in the SEC, South Carolina. The roof is falling. The sky is falling in Lexington. You seen the guy get kicked out because he had the sign that said, um, please go to Texas. You've heard all the rumors of dissension. I put a video out on our Facebook group about all the stuff that I've heard to date about the, the contention relation, the contentious race relationship between Coach Cal and the AD Mitch Barnard. All this got put aside when the Cats went into Knoxville yesterday to play the number one ranked defense in college basketball in a place that they have struggled in here as of the last couple years. Thompson Bowling, we know how good Tennessee is and how tough this is. And it made matters worse when at before the start of the game, it was revealed that Kentucky would be at, without their starting point guard, Xavier Willard, and sophomore Damian Collins. We said it last week in our predictions. I didn't even ask who was going to win. I asked how bad would Kentucky lose. And all the Cats did for the first time in a long time, they gave Big Blue Nation hope 
and made it feel like the old Kentucky had arrived. Cats go in, lead most of this game, despite going down 8 nothing early, lead most of this game, and come out of Thompson Bowling with a huge 63-56 win. And I say huge because you guys know, this means more than anybody can expect. What do we make of Kentucky going into Knoxville and holding Tennessee under 60 points and basically controlling this game from start to finish? Before I talk about this game, let me just add something real quick. If any Tennessee fan has listened to this podcast and you hopped on Twitter and started saying shit like Kentucky beating y'all, it's like it's basically saying that Tennessee is Kentucky's Final Four. If you say that and you're actually being serious, you're a fucking idiot. Because no, Kentucky beating y'all isn't equivalent to them making the Final Four. Kentucky beating y'all doesn't matter if it's in Thompson Bowling and Rupp Arena. Like, that's what they're supposed to do, even on a down year. So, fuck off with all that bullshit. Going into this game, I didn't get to watch first half, but I'm looking at, I did watch the second half. Before, the refs, dog shit. Especially in that second half. A lot of non-calls on Placevic. Um, tra- couple God, of travel he, calls he, I seen. He, by, the, by the way, real quick. Tennessee just breeds, like, the worst, like, heel wrestling type people on their team. Grant Williams. Uris um, Plasovic, uh, Santiago Vescovi. Why are they? They put that nasty orange on, and they become like the biggest crybabies and cheap shot, dirty people in the world of basketball. Yeah, I don't know. But looking at the stats and when I was watching the second half, uh, it's very easy to see why Kentucky won this game. They first of all they hit free throws. So shocker, they hit free throws. Twenty-two out of twenty-five. That's eighty-eight percent. And the second reason, probably the main reason they won this game, because they dominated Tennessee on the glass. 43 rebounds to Tennessee's 23. That's a plus 23 margin for Kentucky going into the Wildcats' favor. That's why they won this game. They didn't really shoot the ball well from three, 31.3%. But neither did Tennessee. They was 14.3%. Hats off to Kentucky. You got your best win of the season. And this could be a momentum builder. I'm not ready to say that they're tournament ready, that they're going to go on this big run. I got to see it. They got to be this team. Uh, a couple more games and be a little bit more consistent, but it's a good start. And boy, oh boy, Kentucky did look a lot better when they didn't have Savio Wheeler driving the air out of the ball every possession. Yeah, speak yeah. on that, Phil. No Savio Wheeler, and the offense looked a lot better. Yeah, the offense looked a ton better. You've seen guys moving without the ball better, just uh, quicker decisions passing the ball. Um, our friend Matt Sack mentioned um, on a topic you were just talking about that. Tennessee style of defense in this game was basically just foul on every single play because they know the referees can't call it. I mean, there wasn't a single clean Kentucky possession that I seen really. I mean, Tennessee was very physical throughout and, you know, Peyton mentioned Kentucky hitting their free throws. Kentucky could have been at the free throw line a lot more in this game, to be honest. Um, I mentioned last week, I did not predict Kentucky to beat Tennessee, but I thought that Kentucky would play them tough. Um, just because I did think that, you know, this rivalry game would kind of get Kentucky's blood pumping a little bit. Um, their season's sort of on the line, and I think we've seen that. But I'm also with Peyton. I'm not ready to say that, you know, they're absolutely 100% going to turn it around and we're going to see the top five team we expected now. I need to see it on the floor first for more than one game. Absolutely, and I don't think any rational BBN member thinks this, but I think it's a good starting point. And um, the Phil of 68 guys mentioned this. Houston's lost Alabama. Alabama going into Houston the best win we'll see all year in college basketball, more than likely. But this has got to be number two, and this could be a massive momentum builder. And a couple other things rounding this game out. 
Without Xavier Wheeler, Cal's hand was forced, and Kentucky had no choice but to fight in this game, and fight they did. But the lineup Big Blue Nation has been clamoring for all year had only played 15 possessions the entire season together. Yesterday, they were the lineup that rallied to come back from 8-0 and seal this game. It was Kaysan Wallace with two shooters and Antonio Reeves, CJ Frederick, with Jacob Toppin at the four, Oscar uh, Shibwe at the five. That's the lineup. That is the lineup. And they out when that lineup was on the floor yesterday, they outscored Tennessee 29 to 11. That's the lineup. And if that's the lineup, Cal realizes I got to play from here on out the majority of the time. Obviously, you're going to have to mix in when Wheeler comes back, mix him in. I think he's got to come off the bench, though. And uh, I got to give a shout out to Adu at the Arrow. He made some mistakes, but he played fearless. This whole Kentucky team battled and fought. This is Kentucky. We've been clamoring for it. This is Kentucky, man. And it was so good to see them back. Defensively, they were outstanding. They fought and battled. Oscar with another double-double, 15 points, 13 rebounds. C.J. Frederick hitting shots. He was actually hitting shots in the South Carolina game. Maybe we're starting to see the C.J. we expected coming over from Iowa. Um, uh, uh, Antonio Reeves, 18 points, leading the way, hitting shots. This is the Kentucky team. So let me ask you this before we move on real quick. If this is Kentucky, Let's just say this is the spark that needed. If this is Kentucky, what is your outlook on them now? If this, um, if they can play like they did against Tennessee, going at Tennessee out Thompson Bowling, we know when a, a place that they've been snake bit in the past, even when they had good teams, like Josh, you mentioned it. I think a, about a week. I think it was actually last week when we was playing this game. You mentioned it. Even on good Kentucky teams, the Tally Healy year, Kentucky was really good, top ten um, all season long. But when they went at Thompson Bowling, we know they ended up losing. Um, if they can play like this, then I think they could be a potential. I definitely think they're a tournament team. I think they could potentially get to a Final Four. The next three games is pretty favorable. They play at home. Or they play uh, in Wup for Georgia, in Wup for Texas A&M, and then they go on the road against Vanderbilt, and then they get that big Kansas game in Wup Arena. If they can go three and zero in those, and then win or lose against Kansas, as long as they play well, then this definitely could be the turning point for Kentucky. But like I mentioned earlier, I got to see it more often. They need to be more consistent. And whenever Xavier Wheeler comes back, he's got to learn that he can't dribble the air out of the ball out of possession, that he has to run offense and not stand still. Because if not, then he's potential just not starting the rest of the season. Yeah, I'm with Peyton. I mean, I think this team obviously has the talent to be beyond a, a tournament team. Um, I could see them, you know, going into the second weekend of the tournament. I don't think they're a – a final four team still I just don't think that they have the necessary shooting consistency around you know oscar to spread the floor enough but i do think that you know if they can lock in on defense like this move the ball as well as they did obviously hitting your free throws is huge um like i said i think they could probably do a sweet 16 run this is kentucky's first ever road win against a top five opponent as an unranked team Pretty incredible stat. Let's go rapid fire because we got to get to the Rick interview here. Some other big games. Staying in the SEC, we dubbed it as one of the best games all week. Back in midweek, we had Alabama walking in to Bud Walton Arena and putting a smackdown on Arkansas, 84-69. Fellas, I just want to ask you this. We talked a lot last week about Houston, Kansas, best teams in the country. It is damn right time to put Alabama in that in that uh, atmosphere. Great resume. Great pieces, big NBA, big. 
They got a playmaker. They got stars. Alabama's the real deal here. Yeah, man. They're just beating up teams. They just embarrassed LSU in a big rivalry game there uh, last night. Uh, beat them legit by 40 points, which is incredible. Uh, Alabama, though, I mean, Brandon Miller's the one that's getting most of the love for this Alabama squad, as he should, because he's probably the best freshman in the country. Top two, definitely. But a guy that people need to keep an eye on is Mark Sears. He had 26 points in this game. 10 of 10 from the free throw line. Four rebounds, three assists. I mean, he, he played 38 minutes. He's just been so good here lately. He's the one who tore Kentucky up in that game last week or a couple weeks ago. He's he's so good, and he's so fun to watch. And for Arkansas, man, they really need Nick Smith, Nick Smith back immediately if they want to um, keep this tournament resume going, if they want to change their season. Yeah, Phil, Arkansas, by the way, too, went to Vandy last night, took another loss. They are currently 1-4 in, in the SEC. Yeah, Arkansas four losses in a row, um, but I think that Alabama going into Bud Walton is still an impressive win, but like Peyton said, Arkansas needs Nick Smith back. Um, Alabama's just loaded between Brandon Miller, Javon Quinterly, Mark Sears, uh, Charles Bidiaco, um, Noah Clowney. They just they have a really solid team this year, inside and out, and uh, I think they're one of the best teams in the country, without a doubt. Speaking of one of the best teams in the country, this was the one of the games of the day, and by the way, it's bullshit the Big 12. Big-time games like this, you have to go to ESPN Plus to watch it. How are they not on traditional cable? Like, you're telling me ESPN couldn't put this game on? But nonetheless, yesterday in Fog Allen, number one uh, in the East poll, Kansas, 62. Number 13, Iowa State, 60. Great back-and-forth game. Another close Kansas win. They've become the king of the close wins right now, Peyton. Let me hear your quick thoughts about Kansas's big-time win over Iowa State. Dogfight. That's pretty much sums up this whole game. And it's going to sum up the rest of the Big 12 games because every game is going to be a dogfight just like this one. Grady Dick did what he was supposed to, 21 points. He was a Ken Palm MVP. Um, Bobby Pettiford did well. You know, Kansas, I'm still saying it, best team in the country. Dwan Harris is still the – even though he had zero points in this game, his production is just so impressive, and he's still the best point guard in the country for me. Big win, and I'm glad we got it done. Handle, Phil, Kansas handles yeah. business at the fog. That's all you can say. I mean, they've they've done what they've been supposed to do over the past couple of weeks. Um, been a lot of tight ones. They've been playing with fire a little bit, but you know, winning close games builds great teams. So, said handling their business. Who didn't handle their business? We talked about it a little bit. We mentioned at the top of the show, Clemson seven and zero, big time home win, defeating Duke. 72-64. We mentioned Brad Brunell's 400th win at Clemson. Fellas, what do we make of Clemson and Duke? Duke's going to follow the top 25. They do not look good right now. Yeah, I mean, they obviously missing Roach hurts. They they need Jeremy Roach back, but they just they can't find any consistency offensively outside of Kyle Filipowski, really. Um, when Roach comes back, I think he maybe moves to the two. You let Proctor run the one a little bit more and hope that Roach can provide some of that scoring. But uh, story's really Clemson. I mean, we talked about him earlier starting off 7-0. and uh, See if they can continue that through the end of the season. How good is Braven Galloway, man? He lit Duke Jesus, out in this he game. Good. 17 points, four rebounds, and especially down there in the clutch and late stage of the game, he was just hitting some big shots. PJ all 26 points. I mean, they're 7-0 in conference play. Duke's got to get it figured out. They got to get a little bit better when it comes to scoring, especially down the stretch. But uh, Tyler Spockter, you missed those couple free throws, and that changed the landscape of the game. Hats off to Clemson. Clemson looks good. A couple other scoreboard rapid fire real quick. TCU goes in and gives Kansas State their first loss of the Big 12 calendar, beat them 82-68. Oh, 
Great win. Actually, think that was at home, but still, you know what I mean. Great win there. You look at Missouri's now lost three or four after their hot start. They lost to Florida yesterday. Purdue dominates Nebraska Friday. Coach Painter's 400 Big Ten win. And then Indiana, who'd been struggling, gets a dominant win against Wisconsin. Wisconsin without Tyler Wall in this game. Lots of shakeups. I think like eight of the top 25 teams lost yesterday alone. Craziness inside the top 25. I think it's going to continue to be this way. But being this way or not, we're now going to take you to another pre-recorded interview we did on Friday with the Hall of Famer Rick Bozich. Talks a lot about Kentucky, Indiana, and Louisville sports. Some great insight. Appreciate Rick's time. He talked to us like a fish to water. We do appreciate that. So let's hear from the Hall of Famer Rick Bozich here. Joining us now on the Everything College Basketball Episode 130 podcast, he is a sports journalist for WDRB.com out of Louisville. He is a United States Writers Basketball Association <laughs> Hall of Famer. He is Mr. Rick Bozich. Rick, we appreciate you taking the time with us today, my friend. Well, thank you for having me on. I enjoyed meeting you guys down at the uh, the Bellarmine Liberty game, and I've followed your stuff since then, and I'm always uh, on board to help guys out who love college basketball as much as I do. Yeah, we can't. We we mentioned on the show the next night or the the same weekend actually. Um, how incredibly nice you were to us. We were blessed to be sitting next to you. And just how fun is Darius McGee? Before we get anything else, just the pleasure <laughs> watching a guy like Darius McGee in person. Uh, just unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, he made a couple shots that night, or unlike any shots I've seen this year or from many other years. And from what I hear, I wasn't there last night. That Luke Brown from Blackford. Uh, and I think it's Jalen Blackman, James Blackman's little brother, went into Freedom Hall last night and hung 18 or 19 threes on Bellarmine. So the rims are very forgiving and welcoming at Freedom Hall. Yeah, Luke Brown, as most people in the state of Indiana will recall, um, he was like a, a cult hero because he right. played at a smaller, yeah, he played at a smaller high school in uh, the state of Indiana and was scoring a bunch of points. And there was the big deal: could he do it at the college level? He goes to Ball State and then transfers, and this year at Stetson has just been lighting the nets up. You mentioned the Freedom Hall last night. Um, I think I seen where he hit six threes in a row and a seventh one in a row, rimmed in and out. I mean, incredible shooting. Yeah, I remember when I was in high school, people were posting all kind of message boards, threads about him as like, why wouldn't Purdue, why wouldn't Indiana, why wouldn't Ball State really recruiting him more? And then, as you mentioned, he was going to go to Ball State, and then he ended up going to Stetson. Then I think he left Stetson once and then went back, and he I did. didn't realize until last night that James Blackman's younger brother is also on the team, and I heard he, he, he had a really good game last night. So, you know, it's another – indication that high school basketball in indiana is like unlike any place else in the country uh and school programs from all across the country come in into indiana to recruit because they're going to get kids a that are well coached on the fundamentals and b are used to playing in front of big crowds yeah and the irony of this is is that uh Luke Brown and um, James or Jalen Blackman were the same, they're same age, but they were in the school at the same time. And there was this like weird competitive rivalry between yeah. fans. Like they were friends, but like the fan base was kind of split. You're either team Blackman or team Brown. And now they end up on the same team. So I think it's funny how the universe <laughs> works like that. For sure. Yeah. Blackman obviously played at Marion for his dad, right? Yes. And then yes, uh, Luke Brown's over at, I, is it Hartford? He lives in Hartford City, I think, but the school is actually Blackford, right? 
uh, which is just, just like north of Muncie. So he's a little bit east of Marion. I'm different uh, level classifications of schools. They play different level of competition. But I remember when they were young high school players, everybody was touting both of them. It's like who's going to be uh, who's going to be the future Mister Basketball? And I don't think either one of them got it right. No, um, who did win it that year? Um, I, I can't off the top of my head remember who won it, but you no, know, yeah, neither one won it. Caleb Rick, first, what, maybe I don't know. I think you might be right. I'd have to go back and check. I can't remember off the top of my head, but Rick, obviously, you you've covered this sport for a long time now, and your wheelhouse has been in the kind of I heard on you on Jim Coyle show the other day. He mentioned the Bermuda Triangle of right. Indiana, Louisville, Kentucky historically three of the top programs in the sport. And this year, it's such an odd year because neither of the three are very good right now. And so I would like to start, if you don't mind, with Kentucky because they seem to be the flavor of the week nationally right now. Kyle Tucker of The Athletic came out with a, a pretty damning article, really good article, but pretty damning article detailing a lot of the behind the scenes stuff going on that we don't see on the court action, which we know on court has been pretty bad right now. Um, but the behind the scenes stuff is amazing information between the, the friction apparently between coach Cal and the AD Mitch Barnhart, um, not getting the practice facility, despite raising the $30 million, just a lot going on at the program and none of it positive right now. So what can you tell us about the Kentucky situation as far as you know right now? Yeah, I mean, this has been going on really for a while um, where there's been a little bit of friction there. It kind of escalated during the, um, I think it was the summer when Kentucky was down in the Bahamas on their summer trip and Cal Perry made the comment that Kentucky was a basketball school. And that didn't sit well with Mark Stoops, the football coach, and he made the unusual step of firing back at his own basketball coach on Twitter. And Mitch Barnhart, the athletic director of Kentucky, didn't like that at all. And he held the unusual step of having a press conference where he pretty much called out both coaches and privately called them and told them to knock it off. Um, the latest development today is that you know, Mitch Barnhart uh, called into Matt Jones's radio show on Kentucky Sports Radio and basically addressed all this stuff saying, you know, do he and Cal not have no relationship? No, that's not true. That he comes in and talks to him, uh, you know, usually after every game, he watches practice. Uh, he said it's not like they're close. They don't go out to dinner and hang out and stuff, but it's not like they have no relationship. And he mentioned that, you know, this is all brought on by the losing, which it is. You know, when, when you start losing, people try to look for reasons uh, that you're losing. And he also mentioned that, you know, He's sure that John Calipari could raise the 30 to 35 million if he needed to, but that it's not as simple a process as just saying, I got the money, let's build a building tomorrow. There are federal guidelines you have to go through. There are Title IX requirements you have to go through, and it would be a while before they could even uh, put a shovel on the ground. But the bottom line takeaway from this is that, you know, there's friction there, and it's they're not all pulling in the same direction. And now you're you're really kind of encouraging Kentucky fans to choose sides. Are you on the side of John Calipari to think that he can get his you know get it going again? Are you on the side of Mitch Barnhart saying he's the athletic director, he should be in charge? Uh, do you want Cal to stay? Do you think it's time for a new guy? It's year 14. I always tell people the Kentucky basketball job is like the Notre Dame football job. There's a finite number of years you can do the job. Uh, and then people started, they quit looking at all the good things you've done and they start looking at you know, the things they don't like. 
and Cal's gone beyond the 10 years, which is usually what the number is. Rick Pitino was there eight years. I think Tubby was 10. Uh, people start getting a little, um, uh, what's the right, impatient at that time. And with good reason, Kentucky, as everybody knows, last year lost to St. Peter's. The year before, they had a losing record. That, that's not going to fly at Kentucky. Well, and you mentioned the 10-year mark. Um, I'm, If I'm not mistaken, Cal has mentioned in the past that Joby Hall, of all people, told him, that you have about 10 year window at right. Kentucky, anything over right. that it's, it's not good. And you mentioned he's in year 14. It's just a wild situation. And to be completely honest, I think we all can agree. If Kentucky was winning, none of this stuff would really matter too much right now. But no, the fact that there's, no. yeah, the fact that they're 10 and six, they took a terrible loss to South Carolina coming off of the heels of getting completely ran off the floor down in Tuscaloosa. Things are not good in Big Blue Nation right now. And then these articles come out, um, even to the point where I think, and I put a, a thing on our Facebook today, a little quick video summarizing everything, where coming into yesterday before the article was released by Kyle Tucker, I think the majority of people in Big Blue Nation just solely pointed the finger at Calipari as to why the on-court issues. And I do believe he deserves a big chunk of it. But with this revelation of the Bench Barnhart, denying stuff as much as Cal apparently realizes he needs an offensive coordinator, wants to hire additional uh, support staff. And apparently, if you believe the article, Mitch Barnhart says no to hiring an offensive coordinating coach, a defensive coordinator coach, and a GM, basically, which like the schools like Duke have. Um, so it's a lie. It's never one person or one particular thing. But when you look at this Kentucky team, very much underachieving and underperforming, what do you point out as one of the big things or maybe multiple things that's went wrong so far for Kentucky as we sit here on January 13th? Well, oh, the first thing I'd say is St. Peter's doesn't have an offensive or defensive coordinator or a general manager or a new practice facility, and they did okay. Uh, neither does South Carolina. So I think all this stuff about the practice facility and offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator is just a misdirection play to get the heat away from where it should be, which is on John Calipari. Um, you know, he has made some miscalculations uh, in recruiting and not gotten the guys. He, he would, used to get uh, the, the cream of the crop. He does have the cream of the crop coming in next year. And that's one thing that's out there in the background. But, you know, they don't have the best freshman in the country this year. They didn't have the best freshman in the country last year the way he did when he first got started there. Secondly, um, he's the one who's made the staff decisions that when – he, you know, sort of pushed John Robick, who a lot of people think was his X and O's guy. Oh, he was. Door. Yeah. Completely and, uh, agree. He was. He doesn't have that now. When he lost Kenny Payne, uh, I think he pretty much encouraged Tony Barbie. And um, what's the guy's name who went? Joel Justice. Uh, he went to Arizona State. Now he's at NC State. And he went immediately and hired two guys from Illinois, Chin Coleman and Orlando Antegua. Then, then he had Jay Lucas in for a brief period of time. He left for Duke. He brought the assistant coach in from Texas. I mean, he's got Bruiser Flynn on the staff. He's got plenty of help. He just doesn't have the right help. He needs to do a better job of, of getting assistant coaches there who can help him and do a better job of evaluating talent. I mean, I think that, um, you know, he's got Sheebway, who's the returning national player of the year. Uh, but, you know, you look at Severe Wheeler, he's a, he's a fine player. He's not John Wall. He's not Brandon Knight. He's not Tyler Eulis. He's not those kind of point guards that Kentucky used to have. You look at C.J. Frederick. He's a nice player. You know, he, when he was at Iowa, he wasn't 
he wasn't an all Big Ten type player. To think he's going to come into Kentucky and be Tyler Hero is unrealistic. So they don't have the cat. When Cal has really been flying high, he's had lottery picks throughout his whole lineup. He doesn't have that right now, so he's going to have to find other ways to win. No, and absolutely. And historically, Cal teams, especially on the defensive end, his really good teams have a rim protector. They don't have that this year, which when right. he has an Anthony Davis or Nerlens Noel or Willie Cauley-Stein, they Nick play Richards. under screens, but they're long. Nick Richards is a great example. They play under screens, but they're still long enough to contest shots. And it allows the guards to put a lot of ball pressure on. He doesn't have that as much as we all love Oscar for his demeanor and what he did last year. He's been exposed defensively this year. Guys like Nate Oates, Dennis Gates, we've seen with uh, Lamont Paris. They are putting Oscar in 1v1 ball situations on ball screening action, and they're exposing Kentucky. Peyton, I know yep. you have some stuff with Louisville here. Um, unfortunately, I know the cards aren't doing very well this year, so uh, I'll let you take this part <laughs> away. <laughs> yeah, that's an understatement. You know, Kentucky's not good this year, but Louisville's just somehow even worse. Um, yeah, going to Louisville – they're sitting right here on the two and fifteen on the year. They started the first three games of the season. They lost all three games by one point. And if you go right. to the Virginia game and the ACC tournament, guess what? We lost that game by one point too. So that's four games in a row we lost by one point. And then we go to Maui and get destroyed by Arkansas, get destroyed by Tech, Texas Tech, and they get beat up by a rival Cincinnati. Getting embarrassed at home to Maryland. This Louisville team. I feel so bad for a guy like L. Ellis. He's trying his hardest to do what he can for this team. He has to do legit everything. He has to score. He has to distribute. He has to defend. He has to be a leader. He has to help rebound. He has to do everything for this team. And the talent-wise, we just don't got it. Defensively, we're 241st in Ken Palm. Defensively, 299th in offense efficiency. We can't score the ball. We can't stop anybody. Kenny Payne. Rough year to his first uh, season as Louisville basketball coach. What's going on down there in Louisville? What is the type of stuff are you hearing? And what's wrong with this Louisville squad? Why are the, why are we so damn bad? <laughs> I don't know if we have enough time to go through everything that's wrong. I mean, the, the first thing I'll say is um, they are getting better. And I know that fans usually don't want to hear that. They want to hear when are they going to win games? When are they going to get better recruits in? Uh, they have improved. L. Ellis has been solid, as you mentioned, all year. He's kind of got the warrior mentality. He's the guy that does bring the fight every night. But Mike James, coming off of freshman of the week year in the ACC and had a solid game against Clemson, uh, he's definitely taken a step forward. What they need to do, um, you know, they need. I think they need to get one a, a, a really good three man. Uh, maybe it'll be Kamari Lands. I don't know. He's got to be more consistent. But you have the three big guys who really the issue is that their skill set is all pretty much the same. And Jalen Withers, Brandon Huntley Hatfield, and Sidney Curry, they're they're not guys who can really play out on the floor. They're all really five men. Uh, and Curry hasn't been in shape um, for a lot of the year. Uh, Brandon Huntley Hatfield, I think, is learning to become more of a, a post type player. And Jalen Withers, to me, he's been the the most puzzling of the uh, of the inside players because as a freshman I thought he was pretty good in the post last year he moved out to the wing under Chris Mack and that wasn't his forte and this year he still kind of floats out there at times and and even Kenny Payne's gotten frustrated with him and and and, and began not starting him and starting Kamari Lanz, Lanz instead so um you know what they have to hope for you know is just to continue to show incremental improvement continue that I think they've won more fans back on their side 
uh, with playing better defense and having more hustle. I don't know how many of the home games you guys have been to, but the atmosphere in the last two home games against Wake Forest and Syracuse was much better. Uh, they got the crowd engaged, and they got Carolina tomorrow uh, on Saturday. Uh, well, uh, Carolina they played this weekend. Armando Baycott uh, is not going to play in that game, so that gives them a chance. Um, and then after the season's over, they have to be aggressive and very uh, determined to get at least two and maybe three guards or wing players out of the portal because they need immediate help, and they can offer plenty of playing time. Uh, Peyton, real Josh. Oh, go ahead. Real quick. Uh, you mentioned Sidney Curry. I want to talk to him. I talked about him sure. real quick. Um, last year, second half of the year, this dude was looking like an all ACC type right. guy. And to start the year off, he just looks like a shell of himself. Um, you mentioned he's not in shape. What's the deal with him? Is he just not gelling well? Or is it just it comes to that he's just not in shape, like you mentioned? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard for us to understand how a college basketball player at the Power Five level could allow himself. To to come into the season and not be in shape. So that has been a uh, that's been a confusing thing for a lot of people to understand. Kenny Payne's been on him. He even came up with a diet for him to be on, calls him at 1.30 in the morning many nights to make sure that he's staying on the diet and is trying to work with him. It's just been a tough road for Sidney Curry for a lot of reasons. And, um, and I thought he kind of turned the corner there maybe like two weeks ago. He had a couple of really good games back-to-back, but then he's – He's not really continued to push forward on it. So, you know, last year he finished strong. Maybe this year he's a second half of the season type guy. But, um, you know, he's a he's an undersized post player. He doesn't have tremendous lift. So he's going to have to beat you with muscle and with energy. And, and, and you know, when, he, when he's carrying an extra 15 or 20 pounds, he's just making it really hard for himself because, as you know, at the ACC level, the dudes that play inside are going to be bigger and quicker and stronger than him. And, and they have bigs in that conference that run the floor really well, a la yes, North Carolina. Um, yes, the last couple, last couple things for you because we appreciate your time and want to be cognizant of that. The last okay. thing on Louisville I want to ask, because Peyton included, a lot of the Louisville fans that we have in our, our group that we talk to on our Twitter and in games, Look. the two biggest frustrations I think from them that we hear about Louisville is one dealing with Kenny Payne, and I want to ask you, without putting you in a weird spot, is his demeanor on the sideline. Um, I know it's his first year as an actual head coach running a program. Things aren't going well. But I think of the Louisville fans that we talk to are frustrated because when they are not winning, and especially in games where they're getting blown out in some of those early games, um, his demeanor just looks like so cavalier. He, he's kind of crossed his arms on the sideline. No fire, no passion is the words that we continue to hear. So one on Kenny Payne, do you think it's just an adjustment from assistant coach to being a first-time head coach? And then the second part is in the recruiting trail. I think a lot of people around the country, when Kenny Payne took the job and he brought in a guy like Nolan Smith, a known big-time recruiter, the fact right. that they've swung and missed on so many high-level prospects, like an A.J. Johnson, like others, the fact that recruiting's not even going well, I think those are the two biggest points of frustration amongst Louisville fans in which we interact with. Yeah, uh, the first one is in terms of his demeanor. I mean, I've known Kenny Payne since he was a freshman at UofL. Um, I got to know him even better when he came back to UofL like 20 years ago to get his degree. Um, he's got fire. He's got determination. I, I've been to a couple practices this year. They routinely go three hours, and he's hard on those dudes. Um, but I think he also is um, 
one, he's aware of the modern player and how they need to be coached and, and guys don't respond uh, as well as they used to, to somebody always being on them and criticizing him. And I think he feels like these guys were beat down under the previous coaching staff and he's got to sort of um, build them back up mentally to move forward. And I know that it does bug some fans, but trust me, he's, he's hard on them and he works them hard. And I, I think he's realistic in terms of um, what he can get out of them and, and what, you know, and how to do it. So I think be patient with that. And, and the fact that he has such great relationships with Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, Julius Randle, all these dudes, they trust him. And sometimes they come and work out with him in the summertime because they like him so much that I think when he gets the right guys in, it, it, you'll see uh, better results. And the second thing is, is the recruiting. It's a fair question. I think they, I know for a fact, people only talk about two guys. It was the kid from um, Iowa State who went to Texas and the kid from, I think, Chattanooga who went maybe to Gonzaga. Yeah, uh, Tyrese, Hunter and, Tyrese Hunter and Malachi Smith. Right. They went hard for both of those guys, didn't get either one. There, there were three other portal guard, guys that they went after that didn't get. I think the primary reason for a lot of that was the fact that schools were negative recruiting against them, that they were going to get the death penalty from the IARP. I know that since then they lost Anthony Johnson and some of these guys, but um, I think we'll see a different result from the portal after this season. And I think you'll see them have more success uh, this summer with high school guys. And they know they have to do better. I mean, they're, they're, they're very aware that there is Nolan Smith and Danny Manning and Josh Jamison and Kenny Payne are more frustrated than any Louisville fan is over the way it's gone. And, and they know, you know, that, they know the way it works at this level. They've all been at this level. They played and coached at this level, uh, and, and they know what they have to do, and I think they'll do it. Uh, real quick, last question about Louisville and Josh sure. transition to another team. Um, is Louisville – are we planning on honoring the 2013 National Championship squad uh, February 18th against Clemson? Because I've been hearing about it. I know I think Louisville yeah. Twitter posted something about it. And I know it's going to be like a 10-year anniversary since we won the national title. <laughs> you can take away our banner. You can't take away my memory. I remember watching that game. Uh, yeah, Montrez Harrell's tweeted about it. Um Actually, Eric Crawford has a column up at WDRB about that and how Louisville is walking a fine line between remembering what uh, the, the, you know, the events of 2013 and actually honoring the team. So I don't know what they can or can't do. I mean, yeah. they have to um, – I think they, they don't want to thumb their nose at the NCAA, but they also know that fans want to embrace that team and those players deserve to be embraced. So, yeah, I think there will be some kind of recognition of those guys. Well, I mean, to be there. well, right. I mean, you, you can, I mean, Bill self mirror a couple years ago, he was under a cloud of investigations right. and had the, the dancers at the midnight madness. I mean, <laughs> it worked out for Bill self. So, but transitioning go. to the last part of the, the Bermuda triangle as our friend, Jim Coyle like to say, right. let's talk Indiana real quick to round this out. Um, we had them in our ECB preseason top 25 magazine. We had them as the Big Ten favorites, as did a lot of publications. And they start off a great win against Xavier. It's looking better by the day. They have the good win at home against North Carolina. And since then, I know the injuries, but they've fallen off a cliff. And more so, which is the weird part about it, the, the, the one area that we thought would carry them, their defense, they are giving up a ton of points here lately. 
Is it just as simple as the injuries, like to Xavier Johnson and um, uh, the I forgot the kid's name right Ray now. Thompson. Ray Thompson. Ray Thompson. Thank you. Escape my mind. Is it just as simple as losing those two guys? I've really derailed them, or is there something more to it? Yeah, I mean, no, it's not just as simple as that. That's definitely a factor. You you take away uh, starting point guard or the veteran point guard and a, and a six-year power forward from most teams, they're not going to be as good. But they should be better than they are. I mean, they had Iowa down by 21 points and lost that game. Uh, they fell behind Northwestern 34-17 at home. That shouldn't happen. They gave up 18 three-pointers against Penn State with the guys they have on that team. That shouldn't happen. So – uh, they've lost their mojo on defense for sure. In, in the last five losses, they've given up 40 or more points in nine out of 10 halves. That that shouldn't happen. Uh, so the defense, the, the coaching staff there needs to figure it out, and they need to figure it out real quick. I mean, because the Big Ten, I think they're tied for last right now with Minnesota after Minnesota beating Ohio State, and they've played themselves from being a three or four seed into probably right now they're already a bubble team again. Uh, and, the, and you know, you live in southern Indiana. You know the fan base is howling. They don't understand it. They're not going to accept it. Uh, and so, you know, it, it, every team in the Big Ten is going to have a stretch where they get knocked down. But what you can't do is you can't, A, lose home games, uh, and they did lose one to Northwestern. And when you have a two- or three-game losing streak, you, you can't let it become a five- or six- or whatever it was that one year when Romeo played, a nine-game losing streak. Yeah, you have nine. to have a game – where you have a dude on your team, whether it's Trace Jackson Davis or Jalen hood Shafino or Trey Galloway or whoever says, you know, this stops today. We're going to guard people. We're going to make the stops we need to make. We're going to take care of the ball and win the game. So we'll see. We'll see what they're made of. I know that the one thing that I've noticed this year is like the the IU players are engaging with fans. I think on yeah, social man. media have been, been critical. I mean, stop wasting energy on that stuff and concentrate on guarding your man and do what you need to do to win games. You're not you're not going to win the battle on social media in the first place. And secondly, it doesn't help you win games. So when people tell you you're great on social media, it's meaningless. And when they tell you you stink on social media, it's meaningless. Tune it out. I mean, I, I'm, I'm stunned at how much time they take fighting with people on social media. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it seems like they've completely uh, lost sight of things because you mentioned, um, I think it was Barstool IU on Instagram posted something that basically they're not playing well to sum it up. And every player, Miller Cop and et cetera, et cetera, got on there and was like, all right. And I'm like, eh, do you really need to do that? Well, show, pe but show people on the court. The thing is about Miller Cop. I mean, he's he thought it was cute early in the year to like give players these words he wanted to uh, them to bring into press conferences and show how creative they could be. All that stuff is irrelevant. All right. you're going to be remembered by is did you win games? Did you make the NCAA tournament? Did you win a Big Ten championship? I think he miscalculates the appreciation that Indiana fans have for winning basketball, sound fundamental basketball, and good defensive basketball. They don't care about your TikTok account. They care about are you guarding your man? That's what they care about. And I was up in Indiana this week uh, for the women's game when they played against Maryland. And that team has set an example for how the men's team needs to play is A, they guard people. And B, when Maryland, which is a top 10 team, made a big run at them, they held their ground. They let them tie the game at 50 and they scored the next seven or nine points of the game and they won the game and engaged the crowd back into it. The fans want to be on their side, but they, they're not going to ever cheer for what they view as sloppy or inconsistent basketball. They're not. No. Yeah. yeah and it goes back. 
Go ahead, Peyton, real quick. To talk, yeah, to talk about that game, the Maryland-Indiana women's game, uh, I heard a story about it in the middle of the – especially late stages of the game, the second half that um, or the fourth quarter, that one of the players from Maryland, I don't know what her name was, told Mackenzie Holmes on, like, a right. free throw or something, like, this place is loud. Like, right. it is loud right now. Like, it's deafening. Like, you can't hear anything. And Mackenzie Holmes is like, yeah, like, these fans are engaged, and when they're engaged, they're one of the best – it's one of the toughest environments to play in college basketball, period. Yeah, she told her, you have great fans. They understand basketball and they do i mean you know they do understand basketball yeah and it goes it goes back to her early point about indiana i mean it's 40 it's basketball in 49 other states but indiana it's different the the last point of indiana too besides the defense and we we talk about it live ball turnover it's not just turnovers because when i coach and when i played back in high school we were taught we don't want you to turn the ball over but if you're going to throw that son of a gun in the 30th row that way right. you can play set defense. Indiana, you go back to the Kansas game, 23 turnovers, 17 steals, pretty much not, not a lot of them forced, just lazy passes that ran to Kansas runouts. Continuing live ball turnovers because of sloppy, ill-timed passes, just I don't get it. Indiana does not, same way with Kentucky. They are in similar boats. Neither team looks good, and neither team particularly looks like a tournament team right now, which leads me to my last question before we let you go. It's January 13th right now. Two mm-hmm. months from now, when the Selection Sunday comes out, is Kentucky and Indiana either one in the tournament, both in the tournament, or none in the tournament? You know, I'm going to say Kentucky's going to turn it around and make the field. Um, I think they'll pull out – I don't think they're, they're going to – um win the sec or anything like that but i think they'll turn it around enough where they will make the field they won't be a very very high seed um indiana because of the unavailability of xavier johnson and the uncertainty about race thompson's return and my lack of belief that they the the defensive collapse has been so significant that i don't think they're going to make the tournament now well, there you have it. Words from a Hall of Famer. Rick, we appreciate your time. Like I said, right. it was good. It was good getting to meet you. And uh, we hope to hopefully before the end of the season, get you back on right. if your schedule okay. frees up. Sure. We can do it before the tournament, maybe. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Rick Bozich, thank you for your time. Thanks uh, for having we me. appreciate you, sir. All right. Well, there you hear it, the Hall of Famer himself, Mr. Rick Bozich. Uh, great insights. Phil, I know you weren't able to make it because you were ill that day, but uh, good stuff from Rick. Yeah, sounds like you guys had a great time. Uh, he was super gracious with his time, obviously. Uh, gave us some great stuff about the, uh, as you guys referred to it, the Bermuda Triangle of uh, School of Kentucky, Louisville, and Indiana there. Um, so, yeah, definitely some great stuff. Good stuff from Rick. We were planning to get him back on, but joining us now uh phil i will let you take this intro over yeah joining us now in episode 130 is the owner and founder of haslametrics.com analytics expert eric haslam thanks for joining us today eric hey no problem thanks for having me absolutely so just to start off uh for some of the people who maybe aren't as familiar with haslametrics just give us a brief explanation of maybe some of the things that differentiate your rankings from like ken palm or torvik or some of the other analytics sites yeah, I would say, you know, it, it's always never a, a question I can answer all the way through because I never quite know. They don't really reveal what goes on behind their their own curtain, so to speak. But I know like one of the things that makes my stuff a little bit different is it's largely based on shot selection and shot success and then shot situations as well. So one of the things you look at is 
Um, you know, particularly you can get a lot of rich information coming from play-by-play data, like where these shots are coming from on the court. So you break things down into the mid-range and the near proximity and the three-point shot. And then you look at situations and you think of situations where a, a, a team might be more likely to have a higher field goal percentage, thinking um, second chance putbacks or steals, uh, quick points off of steals. You try to isolate all these, these individual situations and then you rate how these teams perform in all these situations, be it shooting from mid-range, um, scoring off of second chances, things like that. And then you do the same thing on both sides of the ball. You're doing it on the offensive side of the ball, the defensive side of the ball. You're able to break everything up in all this, all these basically matrices of different shot data. And then you just perform all these little transitive comparisons behind the scenes. And that's, you know, there's thousands of those as the season goes along. And that's kind of the meat and potatoes behind Haslametrics. So then kind of pivoting off that a little bit, I've seen UNC is 39th in your rankings versus mm-hmm. maybe a little higher in some of the other rankings. What is it about UNC that your you know formula is you know not liking right now, I guess? Yeah, that's a, that's really a kind of a difficult question to answer because you know there's so much and I have never you know when it comes down to a lot of these things, sometimes um, if I took a, a real closer look a close look at the breakdown of what's going on behind the scenes, I could see what's going on, but I, you know, what my algorithm works in such a way that there's so much going on and there's so many thousands of comparisons. It could be a variety of different things. It could be um, data. You know, one of the things that my data does that's a little bit different than others is I try to um, weed out garbage time data. So you guys who follow me on Twitter, they know the whole hashtag analytically final thing. When a game goes analytically final, it means the game is, you know, in theory, mathematically out of reach. I think I've only seen in nine years twice where a game has gone mathematically or analytically final and the team that was trailing actually won. Um, but if that, inf- you know, that information, you're only looking at game data before you hit garbage time. And so I weed out all that other garbage. I put a higher premium on recent games. I know other sites like will hold on to preseason baseline data long into even January for me, most of my preseason baseline data has burned off by the time Christmas comes around, comes along. I'm more interested in who a team is today. I think a lot of other analytics sites are looking and saying, well, we want to look at who a team is maybe three weeks out or over the span of a rolling six-week period. I'm looking at who they are today, and that's why I put a higher premium. Um, could be a lot of different things why North Carolina falls below that, but it's 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 really hard for me to say without digging into every single number behind the scenes. And as you can Absolutely. see, Peyton's pulled up the. Oh, sorry, Phil, but I was going to say, as you can see, Peyton's pulled up the uh, Haslametrics uh, analytical final cheat sheet. Uh, he's got that up on the screen for those who are watching us live right now. And uh, Phil, I'll let you get back to yours, but I want to ask him real quick. By the way, Eric, it's good to see you again, my friend. It's been over a year. You hopped on with us last year yep. to explain the whole process. And it's another year that our Packers let us down, but man. Brutal. Another it's year. like. I, I can't feel pain any longer. It's well, I mean, after that 2014 NFC title game against Seattle, that I, I thought fourth and 26 was bad. And then all of a sudden that happened and made that look like a paper cut. Um, every year, it's just, you know, you, you go out there, you expect something to, you know, for them to pleasantly surprise you. But at the end of the day, it's just another dagger in your back. And I said back in early December, I said, watch, they're going to go. Four, they're going to win all these four games. And then I said, it's going to come down to a game against the Lions and Lambo. We're going to blow it. 
and I was taking it in jest, and of course it happened. So, and that's exactly what happened. Phil, I'll let you get back to your point. Yeah, just what we were talking about, you know, analytically final. Yeah, what is the earliest we've seen a game go analytically final so far this season? Oh, so far this season, I'd, I'd have to pull it up, but I know it's been. I think there's been two games that have gone analytically final in the first half. And that's pretty hard to do because you're talking, as you can see on that chart right there, you got to have a 40 point lead in the first half. And we only do this for, for games between division one teams. If you're talking about obviously like James Madison and Valley forge, if you remember that game, it was a ridiculous score. We don't look at that stuff because um, division two teams or division three teams, whatever you have, they're, you know, they're at a completely different level. So we take those out. So anything we look at is specifically D1 versus D1. I think this season, I think we've seen it twice. And if I'm not mistaken, the earliest we saw it was, um, I, I believe, the very first game of the year, which was Baylor versus Mississippi Valley State. That game went analytically final, I think, somewhere like with about a minute to play in the first half. And I think there's How been one are... other game that's done that. How how early did you go analytically final last night with Alabama's absolute ass whooping of LSU? Yeah, that one, I, I actually tweeted that one. Um, I think it was 17 minutes and change, uh, which is pretty crazy. I mean, I and one of the things I had said at one point, I tweeted out there because I was watching a lot of that game. And late in the first half, I said, the only reason I'm still watching this game right now is out of sheer curiosity curiosity to see if Alabama can actually go analytically final on LSU in the first half. I think it would have been the third time this year a team went analytically final in the first half. And they knocked on that door. They were, I think the lead was 37 at the half. Um, so one more three falls, you're, you're talking about that would be the third time that happens. But yeah, they I think they got there with 17 and change, I think maybe 18 and change. Um, so as a result, the, the score that Alabama received, I like to give these performances scores and you can see that on my site if you click on any of the teams on the far right column in the schedule you'll see their game efficiency rating they had a sky high game efficiency rating versus lsu no surprise and as a result alabama jumped up four spots to number four well speaking of alabama we spent a lot of time talking because it is very fluid this year there's not a great team per se but there's a lot of really good teams so looking at your analytics, what do the analytics tell you are the four best teams right now that have the best chance of cutting the nets down? Well, it's no surprise, I don't think. I think, well, maybe the number one right now is Houston. I think Houston is, you know, they're t you're looking at a Final Four team from a year ago. I think that's, that's a, a very quality team. Tennessee, I still am a believer in Tennessee, but that was a weird game yesterday. I never, I, I did not see that coming. Um, I, I was joking to a buddy of mine last night. I'm like, yeah, this is total college basketball for you right here, where you actually have Tennessee loses to Kentucky, um, who had yeah. just lost to South Carolina, who lost by 40 to Texas A&M yesterday. I'm like, go figure that one out. Um, well, even a, one step, even yeah. one step further, the week prior, Tennessee goes into South Carolina and drubs them by 40. So it's the, right. um, yeah, they like the equative properties. It's, the, it's that triangle. Yeah, that makes no yep. sense whatsoever. Um, <laughs> so, so Tennessee, I'm still a believer in Tennessee's defense. It just was one of those games where they just did not come to play. Kentucky did come to play. Kentucky shot free throws really, really well. Um, Tennessee couldn't get any shots up close to fall. I know Ziegler had a number of chances at the rim, couldn't convert any of them. Um, but they're still my number two right now. Number three is UCLA. Um, I. You know, I'm, I'm kind of lukewarm on UCLA right now. I'm not 100% sure I agree with that. But then, when, like you said, I don't know what team that would rise up 
to be better than them. A lot of it is kind of, uh, you know, so-so as far as whether they should be top five or not. And then the fourth team I have right now is Alabama. I have kind of hesitated being a believer in Alabama this season because I saw what they did last year. A little bit of that is still left. The taste of that season is in my mouth. They didn't shoot the three well. They didn't defend well down the stretch. This year, it's a completely different animal. Alabama fans told me this is not the same team as last year. I believe it. Brandon Miller is a game changer. He's one of those guys like Jalen Suggs for Gonzaga a couple years ago that makes all the difference in the world. I think Alabama is looking like a Final Four team right now. So speaking on Purdue, though, because I I did not hear Purdue in that. and We're all of the belief that they are still one of the best four teams in college basketball right now. So analytically wise, what is it about Purdue right now that they're not in your top four? It always comes back to the the performances behind the scenes. So I I think Alabama or Purdue certainly has a claim to be there, but it's kind of like sometimes you're playing certain teams and you just don't defeat them by the, the expected margin that you, that you want them to, to, to win by. Think of, think of Providence last year when Providence was, um, you know, I think they were like 24 and five, one point, but the problem was they were beating teams by two. They were beating teams by three, like a Butler or a DePaul. Um, in these situations, it's not like Purdue is, is barely squeaking by a lot of them, but you're looking at the overall efficiency margins. And if the efficiency margins are not always there, um, bringing you up to a top five level, it's 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 just it's just what it is. It's it's how it's evaluating you. These this algorithm really knows nothing about all these teams coming into the season, and based on those efficiency margins, that really that's really all it has to make these decisions. Now that's not to say that they could go out there and and you know tomorrow all of a sudden you know, blow up and defeat Michigan State by 30, that would probably put them in the top five. Um, but as of right now, they sit there at, at number seven. You know, I, it's, I'm, always, I'm always skeptical about Purdue, obviously, because Purdue fans are like Packer fans. They know that once the, pre, <laughs> the postseason comes, they are snake bitten. And, and so I like, you know, as a Packer fan, I like to tease Purdue fans on Twitter by saying, hey, guys, this is a lock this year. This is Final Four written all over it. Nothing can possibly go wrong. Yeah. And, all the Purdue, and all the Purdue fans come back and they're like, why would you do this to us? And I'm like, I I, I I'm, I'm kind of evil that way. Yeah, listen, man. I well, at least as that. Packers fans, we've got titles. Yeah. We do, we do. And I feel bad for go them ahead. because they had, I mean, going back to that 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 game against Virginia a few years ago where they had that game won and and Virginia wins that game and the you know sends it to overtime and and that was one of my favorite Purdue teams. I, I just love Purdue teams in uh year in and year out. Their fans are great. I they they you know I, I have a lot of rapport with them. It's real fun. I, I really hope they do well in all seriousness. And a lot of people would say, Well, I'm a Wisconsin guy, how I'm a traitor. Um, but no, I, I actually like Purdue. Purdue is one of my favorite teams to watch year in and year out. So I hope they do well. Peyton. Well, Purdue don't have any titles, but this team does have titles. As a matter of fact, they're the reigning defending national champs. I don't know if you can see my hat. I got my Kansas hat on right now. <laughs> they're ranked eighth in your Haslametrics ratings. Uh, what is it about Kansas and why is there seven teams just ranked higher than Kansas? Well, you know, the funny thing about Kansas is, and if you look, like I said, if you go to my site and you can look at the the sortable schedule and results looking at Kansas, um, I think what's happening with Kansas, I think they were as, uh, they hovered right around number five for about a good month, I want to say, and then all of a sudden they backed off a few spots. The reason for that is the game efficiency ratings in their last six for a team that's rated in their current position. So, so let me explain a little bit more. Um, when you look at that game rating on the far right column of that uh, that sortable schedule, 
that is is a is a, a game efficiency rating for a team who is in that current position. So Kansas is like we have them at eighth right now. For a team eighth in the country, there are certain expectations for all of these games. And any game that falls in the red means that Kansas has not met those expectations from an efficiency standpoint. Now, um, Kansas may have won every single one of these games, but out of the last six games they've played, they have failed to meet the expectations five times out of the six. And as a result, that's why you've seen them take a step back from fifth to eighth over that time. Yeah, at the top of the show, we call them the king of the close wins, which is good because yeah. it's going to benefit them in March. But, yeah, analytically-wise, I'm sure it's not good. Phil, I know you got something else. Yeah, so before we wrap up here with you, Eric, and we appreciate you being so gracious with your time, sure. um, what are some of the particular metrics on your site that maybe you look at outside of you know the more obvious offensive and defensive efficiency that you've kind of noticed seem to be pretty safe predictors of success when it comes to March and April? Yeah, when it comes to covering, like, for example, covering the spread, the two that I kind of look at are the momentum rating and the away from the away um, from home rating. And the momentum rating basically looks at those game efficiency ratings and just says, I'm going to take a rolling average of the of the last four to eight games, and then I'm going to compare it versus the entire season. And the idea behind that is to give you a team that, for whatever reason, is performing well as of late. So I'm guessing Kansas, you know, versus the rest of the season, Kansas is um, – uh, momentum is probably not near the top. Um, when it comes to away, um, the away from home rating, I'm looking at those teams that are going to struggle playing on the road. And I just kind of tweeted about that this morning. The Bradley Braves are lost little puppies away from home. And I and I even have a uh, um, showed everything sorted by game efficiency rating, and everything at home was at the top. Everything on the road or on a neutral site was on the bottom. That's a team that is just for whatever reason, they go on the road, they go away from home, and they just cannot win games. They cannot perform well. Uh, when it comes to covering the spread, I look at those two. That's momentum and the away from home rating. The other thing you can look at is consistency rating. And you can use that a variety of different ways. I look for consistent teams primarily in an over-under standpoint. So if I'm looking for trying to nail an over-under, and I have two teams who are the maybe the top 50, within the top 50 of consistency, I'm looking at that from an over-under standpoint because these are teams that play very close to the expectation time and time again. So those are just little things. Another one behind the scenes that I'm looking at, something called the paper tiger factor, which is looking at all your opponents based on strength. And it kind of gives you an idea who has performed well. They either play up to the level of their opposition or play down to the level of their opposition. And it kind of tries to gauge that. I am not publishing on the website right now, but that's something I may – entertain doing in the future. Well, Eric, we appreciate the time as always. You can find Eric at Haslametrics on Twitter and Haslametrics.com where his rankings are at. Again, we appreciate the time as always, Eric. Thanks, guys. Have a great it day. Was good seeing you, Eric. Yeah, good seeing you too. Take care. Go pack. Hey, go pack. Go, go back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's our good friend. And Eric Haslam from Haslamtricks.com. Always a pleasure to have him on with us. I, I feel, I don't know about you two, every time he he's came on, I feel like I learned something completely new about the world of college basketball. I did not know prior. Yeah, I was I was very interested on, with that last answer, just when he was talking. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, especially with the consistency factor when it comes to like over-unders, because you, you know, you can sort of gauge that there's not going to be a lot of fluctuation in, in the amount of points that that team's going to score. So definitely a safer bet that way. But um, yeah, he he is an awesome dude to just like follow on Twitter. He's constantly posting great information, um, just a lot of outside the uh, box stuff that you're not going to hear elsewhere. 
And it makes sense to his answer, Peyton, of why Purdue and Kansas both are a little lower in his analytics. It's not because they're like bad or he doesn't believe that they're one of the best teams. It's because they are playing so many close games and not living up to like the expectations prior for a team yeah. in that position. Yeah, well, I'm looking at Kansas as uh, the last six games. Only one of those ga- one of those last six games uh, was in the green that he's mentioned. The green mean they did what they're supposed to. Red mean they didn't do what they're supposed to. And that was the game against at West Virginia where we beat them up 76-62. That's the only game that we've been in the green. Last time we've been in the green was the game when we beat up Indiana. So I definitely see his point of view on why that Kansas is ranked eighth and not a little bit higher, not one of those top five, top four teams that he mentioned earlier. But do you guys ever? See, do you guys? I'm sure you have seen it. You ever seen the meme of when like someone's talking and it's like the the, the the person has a confused look on their face and there's a bunch of numbers popping up on the little head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel, yeah. Like, that, I feel like that was me when he first started talking about all this analytics stuff and what goes in with house of metrics. I swear to God that was me because <laughs> I don't want to do his job. I thought I know a little bit about analytics. I don't know half as much, even a quarter of what he knows. So well, he's he's, he's a, a super he's a super intelligent dude, very entertaining, and it doesn't hurt. He's a Packers fan. Um, let's go to team of the week. This last week, we had a debate between two teams, but ultimately we settled here. Phil, who is the ECB team of the week? Uh, I think we we got to go with the Crimson Tide this week. You know, we talked about it with Eric. They almost went analytically final in the first half against a pretty solid LSU team. I'm not ready to say good because we still need to see how SEC play turns out, but they also had the uh, win at Bud Walton on Wednesday night. Doesn't look quite as good now with Arkansas losing four in a row, but still a tough environment to go in and win. I think Brandon Miller is one of the best players in the country, not only the best freshman. Um, and Alabama's really looking like a team that can make a, a deep tournament run right now. Well, look at their last couple. I mean, slaughtered Kentucky beat up Arkansas on the road, and beat LSU by a million. I mean, they look the part right now. And then the mid-major team of the week, we got to put a disclaimer. No, any more over the last decade, they're not technically a mid-major, but the reality is they still play in a quote-unquote mid-major conference. So our mid-major team of the week, St. Mary's, they've been on a roll, top 25 type ball club. We'll give Gonzaga, I, I do, I'll say it here, we talked about it, I think a little bit last week or the week before, they are going to beat Gonzaga at least once. Gonzaga, again, they scored 115 last night and gave up like 75, 85 points, whatever it was. Gonzaga does not look great. St. Mary's will beat them at least once, but they are a mid-major team of the week. Let's well, look St. Mary's at- is the exact type of team that will give Gonzaga problems. You know, one of the best defensive teams in the country. Absolutely. And they, they don't mind slowing the game down. They, they will play late in the shot clock if they have to. They do not mind it. Yeah, and they're ranked actually six in Haslam's Haslam metrics ratings. So, so St. Mary's mid-major team of the week. Let's go into some games this week. Tomorrow, keep in mind, tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day. I know certain businesses are off. We always have games through the early evening games. If you remember last year, the on this day, we had that great Purdue-Illinois game. Well, tomorrow on Monday, we've got another Purdue game. They're on the road at Michigan State in a Big Ten uh, title tilt, potentially. We mentioned earlier... Purdue's five and one. Michigan State's one of those four and two teams. Michigan State can stake a claim at first place, a tie first place with a win tomorrow at home. Their seven game win streak was snapped yesterday. What do we think of this clash right here? Purdue on the road at Michigan State. What are we feeling in this one? Somebody, I gotta, I gotta go with uh, Purdue here. I think they keep it rolling. 
you know, Michigan State has some front court size, but I don't think they really have the height that can give Edie problems. Um, I don't necessarily think he has a dominant game, but I think he does enough to get Purdue by him. And uh, Purdue shooting comes in clutch at the end in a close game, and we have a, a 67-64 victory for the Boilermakers. What were we talking about earlier? We were talking about home court advantages and how much it means in college basketball. Well, East Lansing is going to be popping in this game because Michigan State, Tom Izzo, they're going to find a way to win this game. Uh, Zach E is going to do what he does. They're not really going to be able to stop him, but I really like Hargood and everyone else that they got for Michigan State. And I think they're healthy now and they're starting to play well. Michigan State gets the job done. And the upset, they win this game 78-75. to the, the key for Michigan State, in my opinion, has been the, the reemergence of Joey Hauser. He's been tremendous the last three or four weeks. He gives Michigan State something that college basketball has been going to the last couple of years, a stretch big man. If he can hit some shots early, and keep in mind this is a 2.30 p.m. tip time, so it's going to be an early game. If he can hit shots and get Michigan State a little cushion early, I think Michigan State can win this game. But I'm with Phil. I'm going Purdue here. I think Zach Eady is going to be a problem for Michigan State. So, And Fletcher Lawyers continue to shoot the ball well. 27 the other night, lighting the rims up. He hits that game winner uh, at Ohio State last week. I, I like Purdue in this game. I think it could be an ugly one. So I'm going to say 65-61, the Boilermakers. Let's go to the one I'm really looking forward to on Tuesday night. Number one, Kansas at number 12, Kansas State. The first of two this year. The in-state rivalry, Kansas struggles at Kansas State when they have good teams historically. That place is going to be loud and electric. We know how fun Kansas State backcourt is, and we know how good Kansas is with their own backcourt. Peyton, your thoughts on the Jayhawks going into Kansas State? Well, if you've been listening or if you've been keeping up with a certain Twitter page uh, up on Twitter that they think that Kansas State is the best or the loudest college basketball arena in the state of Kansas, and that just simply isn't true. So I don't get why people would even uh, talk about that. But anyways, you know, it's going to be loud. It's going to be packed. Kansas is coming in town, so it's going to be a big rivalry. And um, I'm looking forward to it. Kansas State, Keontae Johnson's been playing amazing. Marquise Knoll has really shined throughout the season. Definitely a candidate for Big 12 Player of the Year. Um, it's going to be an interesting game, and I'm excited to watch it. I think uh, Marquise Noel has been hearing Peyton on this show for the past few weeks, spouting off about Dewan Harris being the best point guard in the nation, and uh, he's going to stake his claim to it. And I think Kansas State pulls off the uh, upset victory. I think it's going to be a tight one, though, and uh, I like K-State 80-76. to 76. Yeah, I'm going to double dip because I think Kansas, this is another one I think they're going to play a close one. But I think it, this is the one time it's going to backfire because K-State's backcourt is so good and they're electric and they can score. Kansas has to lock in defensively here. Not saying they have it, but they have to lock in because K-State can get out and run. Jerome Tang has proved at the head coach level he is absolutely tremendous. I love this Kansas State team. I like this Kansas team too. I, I really do. And by the way, that, that um, Twitter page you mentioned that puts out all these ridiculous lists, Trying to say this is the second best rivalry in college basketball. Get out of town with that. I'm going Kansas State, and I'm doubling down. I'm getting ahead of myself. This is my bank on it. I'm going K-State on the upset. I like them at home. I think when they return in a couple weeks playing at Kansas, Kansas wins that. 
I like Kansas State to reel in the Big 12 leaders and make this an incredible race for the best conference in basketball. I'm going K-State. I think it's going to be a high-scoring one because I think Kansas State will not allow it to be a slowdown game. Kansas State wins this game 85-82. Bank on it. Let's go to a couple Saturday games. Number 15, TCU at number one, Kansas. We're back to the Jayhawks here again in the Big 12. Saturday, inside Fog Allen. Uh, TCU's been incredible. Jamie Dixon's been insane. They just beat this Kansas State team we talked about. But you're not winning in the fog this year. I do think it'll be another close one, but you're not going to win in Fog Allen this year unless you have an incredible performance. Mike Miles will have to have like a 35-piece in this game. I'm going the Jayhawks to defend home court, come back off to the loss to Kansas State, win this one fairly comfortable at the end. I think Kansas wins this one 81-72. Yeah, I'm with you here, Josh. I just I can't envision Kansas losing two in a row, even though I really, really like this TCU team. Um, so I think Kansas handles business at fog like usual. And uh, like you said, I think it's actually not a, not a huge victory, but, you know, like a 12 to 15 point margin, something like that. Josh, you've been talking about in our, in our um, group chat about how you want to see Kansas beat a good team and bleed them plenty handily. This is going to be the game where they do so. And Fog Allen, Kansas bleeds them 10 plus. <laughs> Fair enough. And let's go to Saturday night. The Pac-12, these rankings are going to change because Arizona lost to Oregon last night. Arizona has not looked good in non or in, sorry, in conference play after looking like world-beating title-contending team in the non-con with huge wins, winning the Maui, dominating Indiana, beating up you know Tennessee at home. Number six, UCLA at number eight, Arizona. Phil, UCLA is on the rise. Arizona slipping in Pac-12 play. Is this a get-right game for Arizona? Arizona's backcourt, as much as we raved about them early in the season, has really just taken a step back since Pac-12 play started. Kirk Creesa has not been very good. Courtney Ramey hasn't been the same player he was early in the season. Uh, Pele Larson has just completely disappeared for this team. They can't completely rely on the front court to carry them, as good as that front court is. I think this is the game, though, that their backcourt finds themselves again get fired up for a big-time Pac-12 rivalry game. And I think Arizona handles UCLA and makes a statement for the rest of the nation, 90-75. to 75. Since Ooh, okay. UCLA lost both games in Vegas early in the season in that main event tournament, losing to Illinois and losing to Baylor, they've won a 13-game winning streak. Matter of fact, it's the nation's third-longest active win streak in the country. Um, that's not going to stop. Thursday, they do play Arizona State. They get two tough uh, road games. Uh, they're going to beat Arizona State on Thursday, and then they're going to beat Arizona Saturday. Really like this UCLA squad, their Final Four contenders, and uh, there's a reason why we predicted them to win the conference this year. So they get the job done, take down Arizona, and take down the Wildcats on the road. I think Arizona primarily has been well, – I mean, I guess I could say that because they struggled at home against Washington. But I think this is one of those big games that's going to be a, a primetime game Saturday. The building's going to be rocking. I, I think Arizona's slight favorite here. But, Phil, I'm with you. Their backcourt's not been great in Pac-12 play. Kirk Reza has to get back to talking a lot of shit, hitting threes. Courtney Ramey's got to start hitting some more. Their three-point shooting's got to be a lot better like it was in the non-con because they've got the big boys down low, Omar Balo and uh, Azulas Tubelas. They are going to do their thing, but the backcourt has to help them out. I think this is a game, a get-right game, as I mentioned. 
I think Arizona wins. He's going to kind of muck this up and make it ugly defensive grind. But I think Arizona's front court shines through in this game, despite potential shaky backcourt play. I like Arizona to win this game. 72-69, close one. Um, wrapping this up, you guys already heard my bank on it. I've got K-State beating Kansas. And I actually, sorry, I, I need to put a disclaimer. I wrote down, Kansas State takes down Kansas by 10-plus. I, I think they control in this game. So that's my bank on it. What's your guys's? Phil, go ahead. Full is yours. My bank on it kind of goes along with one of my shout-outs for this week. But uh, Aiden Mahaney from St. Mary's has been going off at 25 and 21 in his last two games. And I think he continues and goes for 20-plus in uh, both of their games this upcoming week. By the way, real quick, Phil, got to give you a shout-out. Uh, we had a dueling bank on it this last week, and you beat me in that one, a game that you were there covering. <laughs> Duke beat Pittsburgh, so congratulations on that one. Let's go. <laughs> well, we might have another duel because if you guys have been paying attention to the show, when we're talking about Kansas, Kansas State, you probably should realize that I did not give a prediction for that game. Uh, well, I'm about to give a prediction for it this week or th- right now. And it's not just this game. It's the TCU game as well because Kansas sweeps the week, goes 2-0 and this week. They beat Kansas State at Kansas State on a Tuesday night, showing them who's their daddy like we have all season long and for the last fucking decade plus. Um, matter of fact, last year when this game was at Kansas State, they led 50 to 34 going to the second half. Guess what? Kansas came back and beat them by three points. Kansas gets his job done, knocks off Kansas State Tuesday night. That's one bank on it. The other bank on it, I kind of like mentioned it, but I'm going to double down anyways. Kansas takes down TCU, takes down the Horn Fog Saturday night in Fog Allen. They win the game by 15 points or more. Kansas Ooh. gets the job done and shows why they're the best team in the country. And if they do that, if they go 2-0 this week, they will be our team of the week next week. Because this is yeah. one of the teams that we were debating on that Josh mentioned earlier when we were talking about Alabama. This is one of the teams that we were debating on. If they go 2-0 this week, expect them to be the team of the week for next week. But yeah, and I don't, I don't... Jayhawk, bank on it. Yeah, and I don't think there's any question about that if they go 2-0 against two very, very tough opponents. Um, rounding this thing out, shout on it. I'll go mine real quick. I, after all the shit that they've got, rightfully so, I've got to shout out the combination of CJ Frederick and Antonio Reeves. 13 points, 18 points respectively against Tennessee. Frederick shot the ball a little better in the loss against South Carolina. These two are going to be huge pieces if Kentucky can turn this season around. Shout out to the, the, the shooting sniping pair from the Kentucky Wildcats. How about our guy Antoine Davis? We've talked about him for four years now. Not only did he become the number four in the all-time scoring list in the NCAA history this last week, but he became the all-time three-point king, hit his 510th yesterday in a win. Antoine Davis, he is that dude. And shout-out Oregon. One of the more disappointing teams in the country, not very good, but they held home court yesterday to take down Arizona in a Pac-12 tilt. So at least they got something to be proud about right now out in Eugene, Oregon. Some good shout-outs. I'll go ahead and go with my three shout-outs. Uh, sh- I'm going to shout-out three different teams here. 
Uh, first team on the docket, let's shout out the Clemson Tigers for knocking off Duke, a top 25 matchup in their home building. Incredible game, fun little the couple of last minutes of the game when they finally put it together and started stretching it out a little bit. Big win for Burnell, and Braven Galloway is a fantastic player, and I love watching him. He continues to get better and better each and every game. So shout out to Clemson for getting a big win. 7-0 conference play. They lead the ACC conference. Next shout out. Shout out to a team that's legit playing right now. Marquette. Marquette's really, right now it's tied 63-63 to with a top 12, uh, the number 12 team in the country, Xavier at Xavier with 9-16 to go. But that's not reason why I'm shouting them out. I'm shouting them out because they knocked off Connecticut earlier this week. I don't remember what the final score was, but I know they knocked them off. And that's a big win for them. And Shaka Smart continues to show why he's a great coach. So, shout out to Marquette and Shaka Smart. Last shout out. I'm surprised he ain't on the show. His last week I shouted him out. This week I'm going to shout out his team. Shout out to the Indiana Hoosiers. They got a big win after losing the last, like, three of the last five. I forgot what I said. They lost a lot of games in the last, past seven games. But they got a big win. They knocked off Wisconsin, um, beat them pretty handily, beat the brakes off of Wisconsin. And uh, shout out to them because they now they're starting to get momentum and um, they're starting to play well. They just need to get healthy. And if they get healthy, then they're for sure a tournament team for me. Well, like I said, my uh, bank on it kind of went with one of my shout-outs. So shout-out to uh, Aiden Mahaney, freshman out of uh, St. Mary's. He's averaging 15 points a game on the year. Uh, this was not really expected. He was expected to contribute, but not to this level. Um, I don't think you can mention best freshman in the country so far this year without his name coming up. And like I said, he had 21 points and 25 points in his two games this week. Just been shooting the lights out. Um, expect him to continue to have a big season. And then my second shout-out goes to DJ Burns of NC State. Um, the game against Miami on Saturday was uh, a big game for him. They were giving away his glasses before the game to the first 500 people who showed up. The NC State fans and uh, students love the guy. And then he goes out there and has 13 points, nine boards, and seven assists, a steal, and two blocks. I mean, just filled the fucking stat sheet up. Um, super fun guy to watch. Like I said, obviously his teammates, fans, everybody loves him. So happy to see him have a big game on uh, on his day. The pack might be ranked tomorrow. I mean, it, it's hard to keep them out at this point. They had the big win over Duke last week. Um, you know, they should have two wins over Miami at this point. They, they're starting to put together a nice little resume. Absolutely. Do, do you have another shout out? I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Nope. No, those were my two for the week. Okay, and, and here's a side shout-out to all of our guests today. Jonathan Warner of MakingTheMadness.com. Great kid, man. Knows his stuff. The Hall of Famer, Rick Bozich. Uh, it's always nice to have. And he said some kind words to us on uh, DM on our Twitter page, which it's always nice to have a guy like that in your corner. And then our friend Eric Haslam from HaslamMetrics.com. Three incredible guests. I know today's show is longer, but... When you have those three guests on, man, you just got to roll with the punches. And uh, we're very grateful for those three guys. Last thing before we wrap up, today, as we sit here on Sunday, big time 2024 uh, five-star kid, Ian Jackson, is apparently making his college choice. Does he go to Kentucky, Peyton and Phil? That's what all the uh, crystal balls seem to think. And uh, I don't have any information that says any different. So I think he's a wildcat. Well, he's a white guy for now, but if Cal goes to Texas, and he might be switching to Texas or going somewhere else, but I think he's a wild guy for now. 
So we'll keep an eye on that. A uh, lot of good stuff, man. Again, shout out to all of our three guests today. Good stuff. A lot of great college basketball. It's Martin Luther King Jr. Day, so keep in uh, remembrance of that. Purdue and Michigan State playing an early game, 2.30 tomorrow. We'll have a live coverage from that, as always. Go follow the Twitter page at ECB Podcast 10, the YouTube channel. Go hit a subscribe on that. And obviously, if you're not part of the Facebook group, go now. It's Just go to the search bar and Facebook, Everything College Basketball. We got all the good stuff there. But wrapping up episode 130 of the Everything College Basketball podcast, for Peyton, for Phil, I'm, of course, your host, Josh Burton. We hope you guys enjoy this episode, and we'll catch you next week with episode 131 with more of the college basketball world. Until then, we hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend, and we will catch you down the road.